Hey everyone, welcome back to the Enduring Churches podcast. This is Trent Young. I'm here with Alan Small. And Alan, we have a guest with us today. I'm I'm super excited about the conversation we're going to have. And so Alan, kind of introduce our guest and lead us from there. Yeah, I'm excited to have with us Dr. David Dixon, who is the pastor at First Baptist Church Natchez. Uh, just down the road from where I live, um, David's become a, a good friend and someone I love talking to. Um, church with and church consultation with david has had a lot of experience um, walking alongside churches we have some great conversations just about church and about what church is like and where church is headed and so uh, david we're really glad to ha- have you with us today tell us a little bit about yourself so people know a little more about you well i'm i thank you first for allowing me to be here i it's a i listen to your podcast a big fan you know, long time listener, uh, first time caller. Um, but uh, I, uh, like Al said, I, I'm I pastor a uh, normative sized church here in East Texas. Been here uh, on my 11th year of pastoring the same church. Uh, I've been I've pastored te- uh, churches in Texas and in Arkansas uh, in multiple staff positions. But uh, uh, I love the local church. Um, I, I'm a and I'm a big fan of the established church. Uh, I, I, I know that I don't have what it takes to be a church planter. Um, but, um, and there's, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the established church. We need church planters and I'm very thankful for church planters. Um, but we also, I think we need to reclaim the identity of the established church and need to come alongside of her to, to create the, the most healthy versions of these churches that we can. And, uh, so that, that's kind of where my ministry has been been heading over the past uh, 15 years and not just in my pastorate but in coming alongside churches and helping them in their moments of crisis or in in helping them to become a sharper instrument for god to use in their communities Mm. that's that's awesome you know and i'm excited as we start talking today and and you said david that you realized that you weren't cut out to be a church planter. And I was like, man, I, I feel that because I, I was the same way. You know, I, I pastored established churches and, and it, it is, it is a different gifting, I think, to be able to minister and, and start a church plant. Alan has done that quite a bit, but, but as we think about established churches um, and, and I, Alan had told me that you had done a lot of co- consultations with churches Um what? How did that come to be? How did you start doing that? And how did churches contact you? Well, I wish I, I could honestly tell you that it was because I'm good. It's because I'm cheap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't charge churches. And um, it's not because I've not figured out a way to monetize what I do. Um, there, there are models and systems for monetization for every aspect of my ministry. Um, but early on, I felt a conviction, uh, in me. Now I don't ever put this on anybody else and I don't begrudge anybody uh, like Tom Rainer or, or Alan, when he was doing consulting outside the associational role or any, any other consultants, I don't begrudge them for monetizing their, their ministries. Um, and I applaud them for doing that. Uh, but a long time ago, God impressed upon me that, uh, he gave me these gifts and uh, I'm supposed to use them for the church. And so I've always had a, a issue personally with me monetizing these things. So um, 
I, I, my very first consultation, uh, I remember saying that I wasn't going to charge and uh, kind of spread word of mouth. And then uh, my next consultation was because I don't charge. And then the third consultation was because I don't charge. And, uh, and so uh, <laughs> it, it kind of built up a base because no, no pastor or no deacon is going to turn down something for free. Uh, so um, again, I wish I could say it was because I was really good at what I was doing. It was because I was free. Um, and uh, so I, I built up the base of consulting uh, because I wasn't charging churches. And so smaller churches, uh, they didn't have to worry about paying a fee. Mm-hmm. And uh, normative sized churches didn't have to worry about paying a fee. Um, and then uh, after getting contact with like the state convention, uh, they would sometimes put my name as a, as a contact source, other associations that I've uh, partnered with or actually served in uh, their associational missionaries would put my name out as something a church needs to somebody who a church needs to contact. And so that's how it really began. It was just because I was free um, and I wish it was more glorious or more spiritual or more spectacular. But that's really the reality of how this consulting thing got started. Yeah, so you got into this. So what gifts was it? What is it that you saw in yourself that said, I have something that, that offers a church in the way of consultation? I mean, what you, you recognize that God's called you in a way to help the local church. So what was it that you felt like, I see this differently from how the ch- church might see that? In my local, I'm a pastor, so my local ministry context, all my passion and all my relational energy is expounded into the church, uh, into First Baptist Natchez. Um, But whenever I do consulting, um, the more dispassionate side of me comes out. And so I I very quickly switch into more of an analytical mode. Um, And I think that's where churches need that outside perspective that a consultant can offer because there's not an emotional investment into that body. They can look at something and say, this is what's going wrong. And here's how you need to fix it without all the, the, the history connected to it, without all the emotionality connected to it, and um, without all the baggage that's connected to that. Because I don't know that in many cases. So I'm looking at it objectively. I'm looking at it analytically. I'm looking at it by the numbers. Uh, and so... I, the, the, the outside perspective is important, but the dispassionate analytics is where I think churches uh, really benefit from having an outside person come in. I, I love that. And, uh, you know, Alan and I also do some of these same type of things in getting to visit with churches that you do, David. And, and so this, this next question I want to ask you, uh, I'd like for all three of us to kind of talk about this a little bit. But um, as you go and you visit with these churches, especially as an outside point of view, what do you see are some of the biggest roadblocks that churches deal with? Or they may not even realize that they're roadblocks, but what keeps them from moving forward? I would, I would say that the, the biggest roadblock is this, and it's almost stereotypical, it's almost laughable at this point that uh, we're not that bad. I mean, things aren't that bad. Um, and so the, the first roadblock is actually, I think, a, an emotional, mental, vitriolic reaction to my presence there. Um, we don't need a consultant. It's not that bad. Um, and I think that's where the church could actually uh, stand to gain from a little bit more education because uh, 
uh, church consulting is not necessarily a sign of that of, of the imminent death of the body. Um, uh, whenever I go to a church or I'm talking with the leadership, uh, I tell them there's really three fundamental reasons for a consult. There's something that's acute, so something that you can identify that you brought me in to figure out a way because you're so closely connected to it that you really can't find a way out of it. So that's the acute. Then you have the maintenance where you just need someone to come in and say, okay, we need some tuning up. You know, we, our, our engine's running a little sluggish. We need, we, need to, we need to tune up. And so that maintenance part of the co consulting is bringing in fresh eyes to the systems and the processes and even to the campus that you look over every day. Uh, we had a secret shopper come into our church and just to take notes of what's going on at our church, on our church campus. And what this is this is hilarious to me because I do church consulting. And so you would think I would be aware of some of these things. But in the list, they said there is a weed growing up from one of the drainage uh, pipes. I walk by that drainage pipe every single day and I just never <laughs> yeah. noticed it. Um, mm. it, it because I'm there every day and I never noticed it. He did. It, it's just, okay. Let me just get a ladder, reach up there and pull it out. Yeah. Um, so those little maintenance things that we, we gloss over because we're looking at the, the, the 10,000 foot view or we're so engrossed in the ministry that sometimes those little things slip by us. And so that console mm -hmm. can be, life-changing for the church just because it's not taking care of big issues. It's taking care of those little tiny things that we never really notice. And then the third reason, and I think this is where most churches think that consultants go, is the systemic challenges. The things that are literally killing the church. Um, but that's not all what consultants do. And, and I would say that's probably not the majority of what cons consultant uh, consultations do for the church. So when I go to a church, I want to examine what they're actually wanting me to do. Is it an acute problem? Is it a maintenance tune-up issue? Or is it a systemic thing that I'm doing? And once I can identify that, I can overcome some of the, the knowledge and emotional barriers to my presence there. And then once they know that I'm there and what I'm there to do, we can overcome some of that we're not that bad mentality. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. and so Alan, before you start, I just wanted to kind of echo what David was saying because I've I've been in those places, and it it's there's a commercial on right now that talks about being nose blind, uh, you know, and I feel like that's the one of the biggest hurdles is people are just blind to what's going on in their church, and you know, and some of it is nose blind. There are some smells I've experienced in churches that are like hello, you know, you need to get this taken care of. Uh, but, you know, all different kinds of things, you know, that that we just, we get so used to that we no longer see or experience. And I think that's, that is a big hurdle for our churches, you know, and so we need those secret shoppers, people with outside eyes to come in and, and remind us, hey, this is going on. Yeah, it's not very encouraging if you go to a restaurant and and you you know the only thing people have told you about it, well, it's not that bad. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're probably not gonna you're not gonna line line up there. You know, um, it's not mm. that dirty. You know, yeah. <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's not that's not the encouragement you you really want to hear about a church, right? But no. but we think about it and. 
and that's what but people are taking that mentality into their church and mm -hmm. you know we've seen that in, in so many different ways you know um well the grounds aren't that bad you know the mm -hmm. the cleanliness of the church isn't that bad the kids area is not that bad you know but do you do anything good <laughs> i mean so so yeah. is there is yeah. there any sense of we want to do this well. We we want to do this right, and you know I think those, I think it's that sense of expectation. You know, what do people really expect from their church and in in their own response within their church? Do they have a set of expectations? And I think one of the biggest challenges we have when we go into a church is getting them to deal with that idea of the challenges that are before them. And how are we going to approach those? Are we willing to face ourselves? Are we willing to take a look in the mirror? It's kind of like um, you and I, Trent, we've talked about this. I don't know if you were the same way. Trent and I hated listening to our own sermons. <laughs> in fact, we went for years and years saying we know we should do it, but I, I just can't stand listening to myself. But when we started <laughs> recording our sermons uh, online for COVID, mm -hmm. we were forced to watch our own videos. And we're watching them on Sunday with our church folks. And all of a sudden, it opened up that door of being willing to actually look at ourselves and critique ourselves. And th there's an example in my own life. I was unwilling to do the work, mm -hmm. and, and I had to j jump into it. Yeah, that's a great example, and it's so true. And, and so being forced to take a hard look at yourself, and as a church, take a hard look at you know the systemic things that you mentioned too. Yeah, are there things that we're continually having to make excuses for that are, are killing us yeah so you know if we get a church that that's there sometimes churches recognize that but how would a church how would you tell a church to say they know they need one you know a lot of churches are living in oblivion so how do we talk to churches to get them to that place of recognition that they need a little help outside help wow that's a that's a hard question because you know, I mean it goes right back to the the issues of you know I guess pride or turning a blind eye, blind nose to some of the problems going on. But um, I, I guess I had to offer up a shameless plug for associational life uh, for Southern Baptist churches in particular because um, there's nothing better than a friend saying, "Hey, you need some help." And if you're connected with the association, you're connected with your with a local group of pastors. Um, and, and you're going to them, and you're saying, look, man, I, I'm struggling with this, or our church is really struggling with this. Having that first, that outside perspective, maybe that local association can help. And I would say that's where you need to turn to first is your local association, because undoubtedly, uh, if the associational minister, minister, associational missionary doesn't have the expertise or the avenues to take care of that, there's somebody in the association that does. There's a church in the association that has either gone through that or is going through that and knows how to deal with it. Um, but even if that doesn't work, the local association, your fellowship of brothers, the other pastors, other churches, uh, they can say, "Hey, you need to get in touch. You need to get in touch with somebody." And and here's some guys that I know that could help you out. And here's some here's some consultants in the area that I know can come in and they can walk you through this issue. Um, and the vast majority, and when I say vast majority, I, I'm ballparking here, but I would say at least 85% of the referrals that come to me are from other churches 
that told them, say, hey, you need to get in touch with David or from associations that said, hey, I know a guy that will come in and walk with you through this problem. And so for Southern Baptist churches, you've got to get an association. You've got to have that fellowship. You've got to have that local network connection. Uh, and for other denominations, you've got to have some kind of pastoral cohort. You've got to have a group of men that can speak into your life and say, yeah, you need outside help. Uh, because most pastors tend to be alpha leaders. We tend to be more dominant leaders. And, and so it's very difficult for us to go blankly or, or cold call and say, I need help. So we need someone to be able to speak that into our life. And I'm so glad you said that, David, because Alan and I have talked about that a lot, about the need for pastors to have that that group that they could connect with and other pastors and not being that lone ranger out there doing it all on their own. And sometimes we need those folks to be able to say to us the things that we don't want to hear. And, and that kind of leads me to another question I wanted to ask you, David. Why is it, do you think, that that pastors are so defensive about things like this? And, and maybe not just pastors, but, but churches in general become very defensive when we start saying, hey, you could use some help. Well, I think that actually deserves two different answers. Um, for churches, um, it's because we have this competitive mindset um, and it still exists today. And even though I think we're changing that, um, I still think we are very short of a kingdom mindset and it's more of a my domain mindset still. Mm -hmm. um, and just to brag on our association, uh, we have a really, really good group of pastors and churches in our association uh, that are extremely kingdom minded. Uh, and, and it's it's one of those environments in which we we help each other and we are we're there to support one another. But that's not true in all areas. And I would say that's not true in most areas. Um, mm, and it's yes. sad. And so churches carry on this dominionist attitude that I that it, this is our territory. This is our responsibility. Uh, and if it's my mess, at least it's my mess. And I'm, I'm going to mm. sit in it. Um, now for pastors, I still think we're still dealing with a pastor tenure crisis. Um, we're still too low on the pastor tenure end. And so mm -hmm. I think pastors operate abundantly out of fear. Um, they're carrying student loan debt. They're, they have families. Uh, or on the opposite of the spectrum, they're facing retirement. And I'm not going to do anything that signals to the church I'm not capable of taking care of this on my own. Because if I show weakness, then my job is in danger. Um, and so it, it, my heart breaks for them, but I think it shows a lack of faith in the church, a lack of faith in their people. Um, but also, I think we're operating from a place of fear. And we all know that if we're doing ministry from a place of fear, that's not going to be a fruitful ministry. Uh, it's going to be a very broken and hard ministry. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of pastor burnout today is because they're operating from a place of fear rather than from faith. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great insight on that reason. I think that fear and you mentioned pastor tenure, you know, if we're, if you're not there four or five years, you've never even become the pastor. That's so right. you've never even earned the right <laughs> to lead them through some of the things that, that we're talking about. And so uh, pastor tenure certainly plays into that. In fact, that's one of the first questions yeah, you, you always want to find out in a church consultation situation is, 
how long has the pastor been here and how long was the last pastor here and the pastor before that? Because that's going to give you a lot of insight in, into the church. And that's oftentimes why there's so many power struggles um, in, in the top of churches. So, you know, as you've done some consultations, maybe what's maybe what are some of the things that stick out is I see this one over and over again. Yeah, um, it, it's this idea that our calendar is full, therefore we're doing things. That's the biggest thing that I see. And uh, mm -hmm. so what they do is they'll, they'll uh, when I sit down with the leadership, depending on how I, I got to the church, whether it was the pastor or the deacons or church council or elders, you know, depending on the context. Um, and the very first thing they'll trot out is the calendar. <laughs> look at look at how what we're doing and their activities, but activities doesn't always necessarily mean gospel ministry. Um, and so they they say, well, we're doing discipleship because we have a a group that meets for breakfast, a prayer breakfast on Monday mornings at 6 a.m. And then if you go to that prayer breakfast at 6 a.m., it's basically just coffee and breakfast gossip hour. And so their, their activities are taking the place of ministry or they're taking the place of real discipleship, real missions, uh, and real evangelism and real community outreach. And so I think we, to kind of bring up Tom Rainer's simple church mentality, we, we have, we've replaced our important things with the immediate things. And so we fill our calendars with things that are basically worthless. Um, and, uh, and I would say that's probably one of the smoke screens that goes up in churches yeah. that we're busy. Therefore we're doing things. Therefore we're healthy. And uh, it, it's, it's just not the case. A full calendar doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't. Oh, I love that you said that, David. And, and, and you know, and, uh, you want to say to a church, okay, let's put your your number of salvations, actual salvations, up beside your calendar, and show me the desperation, the disparation between those two numbers. You know, you've got a ton of activities, but have there been any salvations that have come through your church? Have there been souls that have been not only saved but discipled and grown and sent out from your church? I think that's so good. So. I want us to um, to think about, too, what are a couple of things, because we've been kind of talking about the things that churches struggle with. So in your experience, what are a couple of things that you would suggest for churches to be doing today that could help them move forward? Well, Trent, that's a really great question. Um, and, and this isn't going to be a popular, popular opinion. Um, and I know Al and I have had this conversation on several occasions. Um, we are going to have to change the way that churches view staff. And I would argue that we're going to have to change the way pa uh, churches pay staff. Um, for so long, we have couched staffing and we have couched uh, salary and benefits of church, uh, of church staff in the idea, well, it's ministry, so we can get away with paying them less, so we can get away with doing less for them. Um, and I think we're reaping what we have sown over the past mm -hmm. decades. Um, pastors are leaving the ministry. And mm -hmm. it, would be, it would be ignorant of us to recognize that one of the reasons why pastors are leaving the ministry is because they're leaving seminary with massive amounts of student loan debt, with one, two, three kids in tow. Uh, and the expectations that is being placed upon them by the church, the local church, 
And then the salary and compensation benefits that they give their pastors are the, the, the chasm between the two does will never come together. And so we have pastors leaving the ministry because they can't afford to be in ministry anymore. And wherever you want to place the blame, you know, we can have a conversation about that. Uh, whether we want to blame churches or we want to blame pastors for taking out student loans, that, that's not this conversation. That's a whole different conversation. Uh, but one of the things that we cannot expect uh, is for churches to be on the lower end of compensation scales and then demand that their pastor be able to do X, Y, and Z. It, 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 the, the disparity between the two is causing an unhealthy imbalance in church staffing to the point where pastors are, when they get to a church that that respects them, that compensates them well, and loves their family, even if it's a normative-sized church and a larger church comes calling, <laughs> they're not going to leave because the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And if this church is taking care of me, this church loves my family well, the size doesn't matter. I'm not going to leave. Um mm -hmm. And so I, I really think we're seeing a, uh, one of the things that churches need to change in the, in the next few years, especially with the, the people exiting ministry, uh, is our pastoral compensation and how we view pastoral compensation. So I think what in what you're saying, too, is it's kind of two-pronged attack. You need to pay, pay them well enough to, to do what you're asking them to do or give them the freedom to get outside compensation without... Um, without crucifying them for trying to do so. And if you're going to let them go bivocational, let them go bivocational. Uh, I think bivocational is a, a dirty word in the church because it really means we're going to pay you half time for full-time work. Um, and uh, if, you're, if you're going to let your pastor go bivocational, which doesn't necessarily mean your church is dying, um, sometimes because of the change of the community or the change of the area based upon employment statistics, that just may be the natural evolution of the life of that community. So going by vocational does not necessarily mean the church is messing up. But if you're going to take your, your pastor and let him go get an outside income, respect that and allow him to take care of his family uh, because his first biblical charge is not to the church. His first biblical charge is to his family. Um, and Absolutely. so uh, I think I think we're going to have to change that whole mentality. And so bivocational is certainly an answer mm -hmm. for a lot of churches. Well, and I heard somebody a long time ago say, you know, the pastor's supposed to be humble and it's my job to keep him that way. And I was like, you're, you're, it's like, really? And, and so what you said about bivocational, co-vocational, I think that is going to be a massive trend in our in our nation in just the next few years. Be, partly because, and I just met with a whole bunch of state leaders talking about the, the lack of people coming out of seminaries and, and moving into ministry. And, and you know, we, we haven't, when's the last time you heard somebody preach about, are you called into ministry? Yeah, you know, that hasn't happened in forever, you know, and so we have a lack of people coming into ministry. But then when they get there, you're right, we, we, well, you know, we're going to keep them, keep them poor and humble and, uh, you know, not pay them, but then get mad at them if they go work someplace else. I have one other issue that I see coming down the, uh, in the very near future. And when I say near future, I mean 
le much less than 10 years, maybe even less than five. Uh, and it's, and it, I think it's more typical of Southern Baptist life than anything else. We, we've been so reliant on being able to go outside and get a pastor, go outside and get a youth leader, go outside and get a worship pastor. Uh, this is something we're dealing with in our own church right now. And we're putting the foundation in place right now. Um, we are going to have to start creating leadership pipelines within our churches. And that goes exactly to what you were saying, Trent. We're going to start preaching more messages about, are you being called? Uh, and, and not necessarily to full-time ministry, but are you being called to co-vocational ministry? Uh, mm -hmm. Looking inside of your worship teams, which one of these men are being called to lead the church, to lead worship, not just play an instrument or not just sing on a praise team but or in a choir, but to actually lead the worship ministerially, to disciple the praise team, to, to disciple the orchestra, to disciple the, the band. To disciple the pianist, um, and so those are those are issues that the church has to address, because I, I think we're going to see that outside pool, especially for normative sized churches, dry up very quickly, because they can't afford or they can't locate uh, pastors from the outside. So they need to create internal pathways of leadership, uh, internal mm -hmm. leadership pipelines that have to be intentional, and like you said, even have to be proclaimed from the pulpit. I think that's right. And, you know, it's I've been also visiting with some folks that have been really working on having a plurality of ministers coming from their own church, you know, and, and building that pipeline out. Um, we do have God has already placed those people in our pews. It's just helping them to realize what a call from God looks like. What does ministry look like for them? How can they do that? even if they are continuing to work in their area of expertise, but then how do they become a ministry part of the army of the church? So David, what I'm hearing you say is you, you've talked a lot, you talked about pastoral tenure, you talked about uh, compensating pastors, we're talking about a lack of leadership. And so I, I guess what I'm hearing you say is that one of the greatest needs in the church today is really deals with this whole leadership issue, how we view leadership um, how we value leadership. And again, I, we want to remind everyone, when we talk about leadership, we're, we mean leadership positively. We, we mean this idea that leadership is not power, but leadership is influence. And it's influence that comes from the heart of a servant. And I think when we see sick churches, a big part of what we see is that somewhere along the, the lines, leadership became associated with power and not servant. Is that something that you would say is pretty true? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think I think if you look back uh, at many, if not most, uh, unhealthy situations within churches, somewhere down the line, and probably even more in the immediate past, there was either an abuse of power or a power struggle between two different offices, whether it's inside the staff or between the deacons, and the pastor or ministry sets in the pastor. But you're going to see some kind of irregularity within the power balance of the church, uh, where somebody, again, either staff, deacon, or ministry leader, tried to assume influence where they should not have. And so that creates issues and tensions, and then processes get corroded through that tension. Uh, and then it's just kind of an exponential increase after that to lead to the point where you have this unhealthy situation where the processes are not serving the church, the church is serving the processes. 
the staff is leading from a place of power and authority rather than servant leadership. And then you have a distrust of the leadership from within the church. Uh, and it's not something that happened overnight. It's something that gained momentum over years of, of unhealthy power struggles. Yeah, that's, I've seen that to be really true, you know, and it comes, I think a lot from um, ministers or all kinds of leaders in churches that did not grow spiritually, but were given authority to be over those in a spiritual way. And, and it's so, I don't know, it's just so unhealthy and, and we've allowed those things to continue and to grow. And so I, I think you're absolutely right. That's huge. Yeah, man, this has been such a great conversation. Um, you know, I want to ask you a couple of questions as we wrap up. Number one, how would someone reach out to you if they wanted to talk talk to you more about, about that, about why they should have a consultation where they could look to, to get maybe help and guidance? So I know people might want to reach out to you. So how would they do that? Uh, the best way would be to email me through my church uh, address. Um, our church is very understanding. Uh, we have a normal sized church and uh, they, uh, they allow me to do uh, consultations uh, as needed. And uh, so the best way would be to email me uh, and I can give you that email. Um, but, uh, or uh, if you want to contact Alan and uh, uh, through the Dogwood Trails Bad Association, we could work together to, uh, to help churches. Uh, and that's I love how Alan has led us here. Alan's been here for a little over a year. And uh, one of the things that he has implemented into our association that I am a huge fan of is that it's churches helping churches. And uh, this one word gets me every time. I just love it. It's that we do this together. Um, and uh, it's, it's not from a, a place of authority that we're not, we're not the be all know all and the, the supreme authority of church health and church growth and church revitalization. It's that we're doing it together. I love that so much. And I'm thankful for you, Al, for bringing that to us. Well, I appreciate that. It's it's, uh, it's great to have you with us. It's great to have a kingdom mindset. You know, Trent and I have loved doing this, and we always love opening the doors and expanding expanding our, our, our relationships. I do feel guilty today, though. I'm the only one that did, did not use disparity in a sentence today. On the <laughs> I, I feel it a little bit guilty. Raise the bar, Alan. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> We're going to have to pull out the big words next time. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, we man, we, we are so glad that you joined us today and so grateful for you. Grateful for your ministry. I'm grateful for your church. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful um, for your friendship. And so we'll have your contact information in, in our next show notes today. People can go and uh, check that out. And uh, I know you've benefited from this. It's, these are important conversations for us to have. It is not a, it is not a negative to get outside eyes and an outside perspective in the life of your church. Maybe that's you. Maybe today is a a time you're saying, you know what? It's time we get a set of outside eyes so we can figure out how we can move forward, how we can be an enduring church. So thanks for joining us and thanks for being a part of our podcast family and be sure to share this with someone else and we'll catch you next week.